Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, we are looking back on some of the highlights from Talent Hub Talk episodes released through 2022. Thank you to all of our awesome listeners and amazing guests from the last year. And we really hope that you've enjoyed the episodes as much as we have enjoyed recording them. And I'm hoping that you're looking forward to what we have in store for 2023. Have you always been someone that has had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit? And what was it about starting a business that really appealed to you? I really wanted to be an airline pilot and not work in technology. But then seeing everything that happened from the time of Facebook and all of those other big companies popping up, it was like, oh, there's surely a lot of, there's surely a lot of uh, work in tech. So catching that wave would, would surely be a, a, to put it this way, a short path to earn, my, to earn my bread first, to be able to help my family, to be able to create the fuel. I call money the fuel. Yeah, to create the fuel to power the dreams. One thing that I love a lot is helping people. Um, so it's pretty much putting others in front of yourself first. To be honest with you, I'm like, this gives me a large amount of satisfaction when I see others growing. My mum always says that, you know, give to others, don't expect nothing in return. It will happen at some point, right? Things will just happen to you. Just, just watch it, it will just happen. So since earlier stage, I had to go, well, to put it this way, I didn't complete my whole high school cycle. I went to work literally to make some money to be able to help the family home. But way earlier than that, I think it was kind of 12, we started playing with bicycles at home. So starting to change spare parts to get another bigger spare part that we didn't have. So pretty much starting with nothing, right? Starting with a front crank set. And then bit by bit, it took, I don't know, like eight months or a year to start to put together a BMX bike. And that BMX bike looked like a small wheel at the front and then a larger wheel at the back. <laughs> and then the wheel is like covered with carton to make it sound so cool when you're like riding around. I think that the mindset come from that time, plus also my big dreams of seeing like my neighbor, for example, who was a big manager in a big firm in Mauritius, always driving around in his big car. <laughs> in the morning, I was like, ah, that's how life looks like later when you work hard, eh? Okay, let's try that. So yeah, it started, I would say, in that time. You know, trading bicycle parts. Now I have a great bicycle at home, but I don't have time to ride it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how life works, unfortunately. You don't have the time. That's the problem, yeah. I look back on the trajectory I took, and I'm like, why did I do that? And of course, one motivation was to earn a living, was to make money. But why didn't I just go get a, earn a paycheck someplace as opposed to starting a business? And I give full credit to my mother. My mother started her own business with my uncle, her brother. And looking back after kind of starting businesses and understanding what's involved, the effort, the risk, the stress, I look back on that time with her and actually it was their sister as well. My aunt started at the time looking back on what the three of them went through and what they put at stake. It was very inspiring and motivating to me. And, you know, I, I told this to her, I'm like, I give her credit for the drive that I have. You know, sometimes you're, you're seeing things happening. You just don't quite understand what's happening until you get a chance to look back on it and really, you know, truly appreciate what occurred. The journey goes back to nearly like when I was in year eight. Uh, until year eight, I was like doing okay in the school, 
going back to back and going well from the normal education perspective right and at that time when one of my cousin actually came over she actually did her engineering at that time i'm talking about 95ish that time so she came over she did engineering and then she actually got into army indian army as well so i was like super impressed the way she has gone through her whole career itself and i got inspired from her that okay yeah that's an awesome journey which she had i wanted to learn a little bit more i actually understood that okay she went through the engineering and to get on engineering it's more of that okay i have to get on mathematics and science has to be super strong so which i was already doing but i was my schooling was in hindi medium actually in india so it was not in english and i was told that okay you engineering happens in english medium so you got to really change your technique and change your ways and learn about how the whole education system will reflect on it so I actually spoke to my mom literally and I said okay mom you go have to come with me and speak to the principal of my school and uh, we have to convince them that okay they got to allow me to sit in the school in English medium in the Hindi medium I'll sit in all the exam in English because I was doing very well from past few years and my principal said yeah if you want to do it yeah, let's try that and that's your career if you want to go for it but i want results that's what i want so i was like yeah that's okay let's let's figure it out so in the whole day time i used to study in hindi and learn all the study uh, curriculum in hindi with all the other students in the evening i used to go and uh, get extra coaching to understand the same concept in english as well at that time i was like okay yes my direction is clear my pathway is clear and i have to get into a good college so i was fond of bikes so i actually challenged my dad that i really want to get that bike my dad said okay yeah why not we'll get you that bike you clear your competitive exam as soon as you clear your exam we're going to get you the bike i was like yeah that's okay i'm going to do it i know so i studied hard year 11 and year 12 and the competitive exam it came out and the, the day the results were out i was actually in hospital unfortunately with him he was in hospital and uh, he saw the results and he was like in tears and he said okay i'm just calling that agency and uh, you just pick up your bike whichever you want i was like okay let me do that <laughs> so so uh, that was like the motivation or a goal setting for me to really achieve one one target I guess for us because me and Thomas our background uh, we started in the Salesforce ecosystem so we've always been influenced by Salesforce one way or the other so when when I started up we engaged group from inception pledge 1% was something I wanted to commit to I, I really love I thought I think the whole philosophy behind it is just great so that was like underpinning it but we always wanted to build a business that was going to give back and um funnily enough Mark Benioff the, the god of our industry he has a saying which is as businesses we can be financially successful and at the same time make the world a better place and for me that was just something that stuck true and i remember reading that when i read his book many years ago so we always knew we wanted to underpin similar ethos to salesforce why can't we make this really successful business but have philanthropy underpinning everything so i guess benioff kind of inspired it from years and years ago and that enabled us to do it and then from there like it organically grew like we knew we wanted to build a business that was only focused around working with companies who who were doing something positive for the planet of people and then naturally salesforce being the thing that I've done for nearly a decade now all the customers that we work with 9 times out of 10 hire salesforce as well so we've got the cadence of helping them grow their product teams and really have an impact on the world i can help them with salesforce as well and then be between all the the bottom line is between it all we can give back at the same time so like we don't at profit we don't at time um i do free hires for people i saw today you posted one yeah 
But yeah, she, she's wicked as well. I'll, we'll find out by the time we post this uh, on live um, whether she gets a job. But that's the big thing is that we can do so much with our job, right? We can obviously make money. Like, don't get me wrong, we have to make money on building a business, but we can also help people and, and help others achieve and pay it forward. So we engage, it's all underpinned by purpose and giving back being at the first thing that we do, profit being secondary. I saw on your, your company LinkedIn page, you'd been delivering some free Salesforce training, like admin training and support for people in Perth. So what was the thinking behind that? Where did that idea come from? And and was there a, a big uptake? Did, did people kind of want to learn and grow their knowledge of the platform? Yes and no. So we tend to find that uh, it, it scheduling over here is a bit tricky. So some people are available only during the week, some are on the weekends, some are at evenings, you know, it's, it's just tricky. So we tend to do more frequent events and change the time just to, to make ourselves available. Um, the reason why we're just paying it forward. So we, we just by running a lot of these community events, I'm helping myself because I'm creating a group of people where I can ask questions and I've got you know, three young kids I don't have as much time as I used to have so having some real connection time and asking people and everybody's got strengths and weaknesses platform is so big I'm not going to be an expert at anything so creating that community for me was almost a selfish thing because I needed the help I've grown up with football teams I don't really want to do this by myself I'd much prefer to have a group of people and it's been interesting over the years that I've been running the developer group here People would come in and out. I saw a photo of about three or four years ago. One of the gents is in Columbia, one's in Adelaide, one's in Sydney. You know, it's it just changes. So being able to, to help people and become part of the community, they go on to bigger and better things, but it's just having somewhere to go and ask questions and, and feel like part of a group. You know, take any technology, let it be Salesforce or Oracle or any technology. If you're technically good, you can code and, you know, you understand the technology, of course, you'll do really well. But I think what the market requires right now, which really helped me in my journey, you know, we'll talk about it later on. But what really helped in my journey was a lens was a business lens, understanding the industry, that lens, as well as the technical skills that I could skill up on. And when all of these, you know, work in tandem and as a combo, then uh, the sky's the limit. I think. Even though I am in the ID field, uh, you know, if you look at a high level, I am kind of utilizing all the skills which I learned throughout my life. Being a doctor, you know, I did my MBA as well later on. And then coming into the IT world and, you know, now I have 17 Salesforce certifications and, you know, I'm a solution architect. So all of them working together, I like helping the healthcare organizations, especially the public sector in solving, uh, you know, challenging situations and uh, problems for citizen welfare being. It must have been nice to be able to continue down the passion uh, path of not-for-profits and not have to go into that kind of for-profit sector um, and, you know, focus on work in that space. Exactly, exactly. It is a real privilege. And I think um, on, on the flip side, I would say also that it allowed me to work within non-profits without having to commit to a career within a particular stream. You know, I didn't have to go and do a community development master's and work in international aid. 
in order to participate in the sector. And, you know, I actually, I've worked with disability organisations, health, environmental advocacy. I worked with the Queensland Greens for a little while. So I've been able to get exposed to a huge breadth of organisations and different missions and different um, changes that um, organisations are trying to do. And I wouldn't have had that privilege if I'd sort of committed to working in one particular stream of non-profits. The community user groups are fantastic. Like I, I love the user groups and the community-led dreaming events are wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that those were, were started up. I have to give a shout out to my good friend, Michelle Burra, who runs the Atlanta Salesforce Saturday group. I wouldn't be here today if I had not joined that group. That's really where I started breaking out of my shell and you know, talking to people, that's where I met Ben. So literally would not be where I'm at. <laughs> and, you know, there's the normal people on Twitter and that I've met in real life now. Jeanette Jett and Michelle Hansen and Melissa Hildes are just fantastic people. So I, I could go on and on with all of the people that are within the ecosystem that are just absolutely fantastic. After the presentation, a few days later, he reached out to me. Uh, somehow he would have found out that uh, I also have six and retake. So, and he also had six and retake. So he he was trying to build a group of six and retakers who will study together because we need all together a different strategy to pass six and retake because you have half time and you have to do a lot, right? You need a different strategy. So he basically reached out to me that if you'd like to study together, I said, yes, because that's what I was looking for, right? That we needed more people, like-minded people, and everyone knows Jitendra Jha. So if message is coming from Jitendra Jha, if you'd like to study together, I said, yes. Then we actually formed a group for, uh, we call it CTA Gang of Four now. We all are CTAs. So we have uh, more, we had more, and then Varuna and Jitendra So Varuna and Jitendra both were there in USA. I was there in UK and Mo was there in, in Australia at that time. So there was a real challenge in terms of time zone that how we are going to manage the time zone because we lived in three different continents, right? So then, but yes, we, we from now worked that out and we studied together every night for six months. And we appeared for the board again in March, April time and then we all passed. I know another thing that you're passionate about is um, I believe you're a trailblazer guide and obviously that's something that you've chosen to do off your own back right that's not necessarily um, that would, wouldn't have necessarily been in your job description yeah. so why why is that something that you've chosen to do and for anyone that doesn't understand or hasn't heard of the uh, the trailblazer guide role or uh, responsibility before sure. what does that mean yeah absolutely ben that's a role that i'm very very passionate about and uh, it's it's not just you know um, as a part of salesforce i've always been passionate about but mentoring and guiding people on their career progression and the reason for that is because you know, I'm in the Salesforce ecosystem and things are very open here. You have your trailhead, which actually helps in, you know, enabling yourself in whatever way area that you want to get into. It can be product, it can be uh, like this morning, I was actually having a chat with somebody internally and I knew that there is actually a badge for financial well-being in trailhead. So irrespective of, you know, what you want to get into, there's, there's always an avenue to learn. And Trailblazer Guide, as the role indicates, it's about guiding people in the ecosystem how to actually become a trailblazer. And uh, Trailblazer probably is the best way by which you can actually learn Salesforce. You have your uh, Trailblazer community where you can jump in and you can ask your questions and you have answers, you know, coming in like immediately. And from what 
we know at this point in time there's about 9.3 million jobs that will be up for grabs by 2026 and uh, the trailhead community the trailblazer community is instrumental in ensuring that everybody can actually leverage and get one of those jobs so um the trailblazer guide internally is is very important we actually run sessions and uh, just like the session that i'm actually running with you now i can even go to, to my previous uh, educational institution run a session there to motivate the students there to kind of come into salesforce i can even be running a session on one of those architecture uh, boards also so it completely depends on me where i actually run those sessions and uh, as a trailblazer guide at the end of the day it is about you know spreading uh, awareness about the ecosystem and how will yeah. pwc helping the tier below i guess realize their potential and, and then go into that program well at the moment we are we are in the process of finalizing a few internal architecture with well we're calling it an architecture tract or initiatives and it's really ensuring that those candidates um go from wherever they are at what point whether just developers or in the beginning of their architecture cycle to be prepped with all the necessary let's call it prerequisites certs to go into the CTA journey so effectively that really means at the end of the day ticking the technical architect and the data architect boxes and we're like hoping to launch this by H2 this year we obviously have internal support programs in place as well but from more from an upskilling perspective that's that's what we're looking at to support them I know you're very passionate about ending the stigma around uh, mental illness and and you speak openly about your diagnosis of of bipolar. So why is it so important that you know we are talking about this topic and and others talk about this topic and it becomes something that you know everyone is talking about? It's first and foremost super important to talk about so that we can get people the help that they need and then also, you know, suicide rates amongst folks with mental illness are obviously more relative than to those who do not have mental illness. So helping those people, you know, preventing suicide is such a huge thing and if we don't talk about the stuff that leads up to suicide and attempting suicide, then we're not going to be able to reach the people who really need that help. So not only are we is talking about it for for getting help and and suicide awareness and prevention but also how do we coexist with this in my talk you know 10 million people have bipolar disorder but we don't talk about it at all but there's 10 million people out there not knowing how to balance this in their life so mm-hmm. that's a lot of people we can help and that's just bipolar so if you think of like all these other other types of mental illnesses you know depression anxiety who can have you know full time jobs and and work life balance and all that other stuff like those are even more people that we can help but we can't if we don't talk about it so the salesforce admin conundrum is a term that i use to describe what i think is a very common occurrence for really good salesforce admins and that is the more value you deliver the busier you get right everybody wants to pay to you so you know you did a knocked out job with getting the the sales cloud stood up or or maybe you came in after the fact and got it optimized or maybe you brought on this extra team and they're killing it you've got this automation and now you're using marketing cloud and what happened oh Suddenly this team wants a piece of you, right? And they're not always even related. It's procurement thought and they want to see if you can do this. And what is very common inside organizations is Salesforce has this land and expand strategy. So they're there, you know, in the wings like absolutely willing to help and willing to help you make the business case. 
and uh, your constituents are growing, and yet it's not uncommon to be no additional resources growing proportionately. So you're doing a bang up job, you are adding value left and right, and yet you're overworked, you're tired, you're cranky, and feeling overwhelmed. I've been there on many occasions. I've witnessed it on my team. I talked to a lot of people in the ecosystem. I think it's very common. And in fact, this is part of the reason that I, I wrote my book is it's really, you know, first of all, it's important for me to, to help make sure that people understand, like, what does it mean to add value as a Salesforce admin, right? But equally important, I feel very passionate that if I'm going to teach people how to do that, I darn well better give them the tools to ensure that they can over-deliver without overwhelm. So that's actually the, the second part of my book. It's challenging being a parent and working kind of no matter what role you're doing. I don't think that it's that much harder for us as an architect. It also kind of leans into what Shari was saying about having to set boundaries for yourself, whether you're a parent or not. Generally, once you get to that architect role, you've kind of tasted a few different aspects of project delivery, right? You, you know how things work. Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean that you should. So you need to be able to communicate with your team, understand who you're going to delegate to, and know that they're going to support you through that. Pre-parenthood, I really didn't mind working long hours. I think when you're in this kind of consulting industry, tend to be people who are a little bit addicted to work, really, really enjoy the, the hard work and the challenges. So I would I would work evenings, I would work weekends, I would work early mornings. I remember supporting some, you know, East Coast US implementations. It was very early starts. But now, you know, I've got a little girl who's waiting to spend time with me. Um, I'm always going to want to put her needs before work every single time. It sucks to disappoint a coworker or a client, but disappointing my little girl is uh, I just can't do it. Being a parent has made me more organized, right? I do feel I'm more efficient with my time and I'm a better multitasker because I know mm -hmm. I need to do these many things now within this limited time. And I, I look at it as a positive. I feel I'm still doing similar things that I used to do before being a parent, but I'm so much more efficient with the things I do. So I think that's definitely what I think being a parent has taught me. So my results came at 6.30 a.m. in the morning. That's when I read it. When I woke up to wake up my kids, that's when I read it. So I called them and told them that, you know, the results are out. And I couldn't believe they had tears in their eyes. They they came driving home to my house and they, they were like, they were all so emotional. And, and probably at that point, I realized that I have just not made it big for myself. I have made it so big for everybody around me, right? While I told her that I'm going to get a fancy certificate. My husband told her, her father told her that, you know, once mommy gets this exam right and when she passes it, she will be walking two feet above the ground. Like, you know, like. So then the, the moment I told her, I got my result and then she looked down. Like, you're still walking on the floor. That's brilliant. So yeah, yeah, it was cute to have that reaction from her. Yeah. It's quite funny that when even when I passed the exam, I sort of had withdrawal symptoms that I'm not joining these day-to-day -day calls and the study groups because it had become a habit for about a year and a half where my every morning started with uh, the study group calls with everyone. So I think it sort of becomes a habit and something that I started enjoying as well, which meant that I started missing that daily calls, uh, which was uh, uh, happening. 
So for me, it was huge, I will say. I mean, I felt really happy and excited. Uh, I wanted to shout it out loud, uh, but my baby was sleeping. It was <laughs> and you know 11, not 11.40 p.m. at night it was. I was checking the email, the email like, most of the time, right? So I went upstairs uh, and I woke up my wife. He was also sleeping and I whispered, my bath. Right? And she jumped <laughs> from the bed and we started jumping in circles together, right? In silence because we cannot scream. Uh, yeah, so it was a really fun moment. <laughs> so, and also, let's say, being for me was really an achievement and also for the, the South American region because I was the first South American CTA. It was an honor for me when I realized it. And uh, yeah, hopefully, this also will motivate, right? South America, uh, and we start having more CTAs from that region. It was a funny thing that when I knew the result, I was alone in Moscow because my wife was uh, back uh, with her parents and I was like, I think I got the result in the middle of the night or something. And what I remember uh, very well from that day and the day after is I had a huge toothache. So my tooth was like blowing. So it was so intense. It was the hugest pain probably in my life. So I remember it more than the fact of the exam. So it spoiled a little bit the joy of, <laughs> of passing because uh, for me, the key thing of the day was really to get rid of this pain uh, and go to the dentist uh, rather than celebrating the exam. For me, Ben, the most important aspect, it might sound very naive and very simple, but for me, the most important thing about being a consultant is to articulate anything that you say in the most simplest of ways, right? Let me give you an example, okay? So you have a requirement and then you put the requirement in front of your, your developer and uh, the developer, you know, and then we ask the developer, okay, how do you do this? So the developer would say, oh, you know what, let's write a trigger, a before update trigger, which can actually go in and update this particular field in there, which will actually write a flow and all that. You know, you, you come up with all these flashy terms, right? At the end of the day, when you present something like that to a customer, the customer is like, I don't care about what is a trigger. I don't care about metadata or anything like that, right? Just explain to me in layman's terms. The moment you can actually start doing that to a customer or to people around you, that's when you actually become a consultant. And I think that is the most important skill set. Product knowledge, Salesforce knowledge, you know, CPQ, billing, you know, all of that, that's all great to have. I mean, you know, keep it in your back pocket. But the ability to articulate something to a customer in the simplest of words, that's probably the most important thing that a consultant needs. So how does someone learn now? Because you didn't have Sandbox, um, you know, you, you had very limited documentation. If someone is listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I want to make the move and, uh, you know, I, I don't have any Salesforce experience at all. Uh, I don't have any Commerce Cloud experience. Like, where would you start? That's the hard path. You can learn theory tradehead. Salesforce did great tradehead for Commerce Cloud. So you can learn theory here. Uh, you can talk to Commerce Cloud uh, people. You can um, try to read the documentation to see how is working Commerce Cloud because in the documentation you have some snippets, you have uh, some uh, codes uh, you can just check. And if you know JavaScript, if you have a good experience into IT world, into development, you can try to work on a project by talking to managers or uh, HR. In the book that I have, there's a chapter of what I call table stakes. And the chapter heading is table stakes. Know thy company, know thy peeps, and know thy org, right? So there's a whole lot of things you have to do to be a value add admin. But those things are just core for the taking. You've got to do it. So there's a couple things I say. One is for the first 30 days, walk in and spend, I'll use a Zig Ziglar quote, 
see the people, see the people, see the people. And then when you're done, go out and see the people, right? So really getting in front of as many users as you can, representing each of the different constituencies. So that's the word I use that however different teams are structured, making sure that you spent time with each of those, making sure that you're also spending time with functional leaders. So this is something where oftentimes admins, you know, oh, they're important. They've got big titles. I'm just an admin. Like, heck no, right? Like you're here to add value. You have expertise, like own that and understand the value of your time is as important as their time and done right. A little investment with you is going to bring tremendous value back to the organization, back to that team, back to that leader. So for anyone listening that, that might be um, at the, the kind of stage of their career where they, they think I'd love to do the CTA, but I, I don't have the right background or, you know, my knowledge isn't where it needs to be um, and, and maybe might be doubting their ability to achieve the goal, what would you say to them? Uh, I would say, trust me, nobody starts the CTA journey with all the skills and the right ba- background needed to be it. Uh, as I said, it's a combination, it's a unique exam which needs a wide range of skills, a combination of skills to be able to pass. I've seen many people on the journey who come from a strong technical background, but need to learn that looking at things from the user experience perspective, communicating better, taking that consulting uh, approach where you look at the pros and cons, trade-offs of particular solutions and talk in those parts. And there are people like me as well who come from very different background who need to probably fill in gaps in other areas. So trust me, you have to learn something new (laughs) to become a CTA. You can't do it with your existing skills. So I think as long as one is ready to work hard, they're committed to the cause and they understand that it's not a flip of a switch. It's not going to happen in a very short amount of time. You probably get 70-80% of what you need probably through a lot of learning and your prerequisites and the certs and so on. But from then on, it's a very incremental process of improving and adding those complementary skills and probably getting to a space where your presentation, your communication is very pointed and you're speaking the things which are actually necessary and use your time well. Basically, it's it's also about time management and uh, making sure that you are uh, doing the right things within the time you have for your presentation and Q&A. So I think uh, it's all of that. So as long as yeah you are driven and you want to do it, it's very much possible. And I don't think anybody should hold themselves back by thinking that they don't have the right background or skill. Nobody does. So it's just that it's taught me that to make any significant achievement, you've got to put in the work and enjoy the process or the journey as you go along. So if you enjoy what you're doing and you're ready to put in the work, it is very much possible. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon, and thanks again.